The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. So I have this desire to grow and expand and to serve more people. And I also feel like that's an uncomfortable place for me to be. In today's episode, listener Jen wonders how to scale impact and income once you've discovered what sparks you, but when it also feels limited by the simple fact that there's only one of you and there's so much that you can charge. In Jen's case, the quiet, deep work of one-to-one coaching and support, it's where she's most lit up. But she knows that it isn't scalable in the way that will meet her goal. So she asks, how do you become more comfortable with a working model that can expand and serve more people, but is outside maybe your comfort zone? Or more specifically, is there a way for her to do her work differently? And on deck with me this week from the Sparked Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas, is Jenny Blake. Jenny is a podcaster, career and business strategist, and award-winning author of three books, Life After College, The Groundbreaking Pivot for Navigating What's Next, and her recently published Free Time for Optimizing What's Now. So quick note, you'll also hear us mention something we call the sparkotypes in conversation. So what is that? Well, it turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your sparkotype. When you discover yours, everything, your entire work life, even parts of your personal life and relationships, they begin to make a lot more sense. And until you know yours, you're kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your sparkotype for free at sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now, on to Jen's story and question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. Hi, Jonathan. My name is Jen, and I am a lactation consultant and postpartum doula, and I work in private practice with new families as they bring their babies home. And I've been doing this work for about 15 years, and it's a great fit for me. My spark a type is the maven, and my shadow spark a type is the advisor, and my anti-spark a type is the advocate. So my question is, this has been really, really great work for me in that I feel like I'm in my wheelhouse. And I've recently, after doing this for 15 years, come to a place where I'm realizing that this one-on-one kind of coaching and education work that I love so much is, you know, there's only so much of me and so much I can do. And so I'm looking for a way to scale my business by taking some things online and offering some courses and memberships and things like that. But I am really, really running into resistance and challenge around not being in that kind of one-on-one work or that sort of deep, focused, more quiet place, which is where I'm comfortable. So I have this desire to grow and expand and to serve more people. And I also feel like that's an uncomfortable place for me to be. So wondering is part of the question of how do I work differently? What, how do I lean into other parts of my personality and get comfortable there so that I can reach these new goals in my work life? Uh, we'll see if I get picked. And if so, I will look forward to your input. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. 
The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Okay, so a bunch of different places that we could dive into this. And just to kind of recap, Jen is a lactation consultant, postpartum doula. She's been doing this in a very, very intimate one-on-one way for a decade and a half now. And her sparkotype, her primary is Maven, which is all about learning, knowledge acquisition, just going deep into being like learning everything for the sake of learning. Her shadow or runner-up is the advisor, which is all about creating safety and guiding others through process of growth. And her anti, which is the heaviest lift for her, is the advocate, which is sort of like standing in a position of championing. Doesn't mean that um, you get to opt out of those, by the way. It's just, it, it's the way that we are wired. And her question is really around, she's not saying she doesn't love what she does. In fact, she's saying she does love what she does, but she's after 15 or so years, she's kind of looking at like, how do we take it to the next level without losing what makes it so special to her? Is is that what you are sort of getting from the, the basic question? Yeah, definitely. That she's built this incredible practice and knowledge over these last 15 years. And that now what I'm hearing is both a desire to scale and serve more people and to scale back in terms of her time. So not being the bottleneck to where only when she has the time and energy available does she then get to serve clients. And that can put a bottleneck or crimp on income. So I'm hearing a little bit of both, like a desire to scale back in the sense of her time and effort and do more with less. And then how does she scale the business in a really resonant way? Yes, going to some of her growth edges, while also keeping it, as I like to say, joyful, easy, fun. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because there are these sort of like two things that create a bit of tension, I almost feel. It's like the desire to scale up income and impact, but at the same time to scale back on direct access and really be much more selective in how, like when you're present with other human beings in an intimate way, you're you're allocating that energy, which I imagine is a, a pretty common tension, whether you have your own professional practice or business or even whether you're, you know, in an organization and somebody is calling on you to figure out how do we actually like how do we scale up impact and income or revenue around a product and at the same time you personally are thinking I also need to protect myself and make sure that I'm sort of like investing in what I want to do. I feel like there are also a lot of shiny shoulds in the area of scale, there's so much going on out there in the world. Yeah, you should teach courses, you should run a membership community, should, should, should. And there's a lot of people making a lot of money doing a lot of different things. And it can be confusing when you're first looking to make that transition from solo service provider to more scale. 
where do you start? And then how do you not get in over your, what do they call it? Out over your skis. Like what I have found in my business, because I've been at this now 12 years full time, and then probably 17 of when it started as a side hustle that I actually diversified too much. I had too many streams hmm. of income. And then every stream of income adds new complexity, new processes on the back end, sometimes team members to support that. I know, Jonathan, you've talked about that as well. There's simple grace and then there's sustainable complexity. And in the middle can be really tricky because you kind of have to pick one. And so what I'm hearing in Jen's question is she is ready. She is ready to create some scale, but I would advise her to think about, okay, how can you be really focused and really targeted? And it doesn't have to be always what you think. Like I actually think that courses are marketed as this like magic solution, but they're a lot of work. It's a lot of work to create a flagship course, to market it, to fill them, to launch them. So one model that I wanted to be sure to share with Jen that's worked really well for me when I wanted to step out of one-on-one coaching after 10 years Instead of switching to a course, I I became an affiliate for a friend who has a brilliant flagship course called Career Pathfinder. I actually just partnered with other coaches. So I brought them in. Nobody works for me full time. But instead of me taking those one-on-one clients, I was out there. I had built over a decade of a brand, of a community, of resources, of my own, what I call ongoing public original thinking. And so by partnering with coaches who didn't have that, maybe they were a little earlier in their career, I could mentor them. We share revenue, they get 60% and I keep 40% for the business for operations and marketing. And that's a really joyful ecosystem too, because for me, I found some courses are hit or miss. It's selling small things to many people, unless you have a really pricey flagship. But in Jen's case, the nature of the work is going to be that you're kind of always looking for new clients. So that could be to her benefit, or it could feel a little bit like a hamster wheel or a treadmill. So just partnering with other lactation consultants and postpartum doulas who don't quite have the experience in the network could already be an easy place to start where you're able to feed them some of that one-on-one work and have them be part of your own community and almost a mini mastermind. Yeah, I love that. Um, The notion that, you know, maybe actually you don't have to do the work of creating these different things that you might want to do. Maybe there are other people out there where you can build the relationships. They already have those offerings and you have so much interest and demand for you that people coming to you, you can effectively redirect them and more or less take a commission. Know that you're sending people to good experiences, to good people, to good information, um, yet you don't have to create it. You don't have to maintain it. You don't have to market it, which can be, and it's interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm deeply aware of the world of that would be called being an affiliate, but a lot of folks who don't exist in that space don't know that these types of things exist or that the commissions for um, courses or online courses or info-based offerings are often very high because the cost structure on the provider side is once it's created can be fairly low. So they will give a very substantial commission to others for effectively becoming the 24-7 marketing and sales engine um, for these products that they've created. And back to the point that you're making, there is There are a lot of shoulds around like, this is how you scale. This is how you expand. This is how you extract knowledge from yourself, commoditize it so the world can interact with it. And sometimes it can work fantastically, but there's also a lot of mythology, as you noted, around how, quote, easy it is to do that. Um, And you and I have both spent many years developing many different courses and offerings and, and testing all these different ways to scale. And I think we can both say, that you know, like we've had some really nice successes, but at least I can say from my side, 
I've had outright failures, like like big time outright failures after spending you know a substantial amount of money and time developing things and then realizing I missed the mark. It can be really hard <laughs> when that happens. So I think if if you're looking at that, it's really important to acknowledge the reality and say like this may take a whole bunch of iterations and different ideas, and I may have to actually invest a whole bunch of time and resources and not you know like figure out quote product market fit for a while and be willing to still stay in that process, which I think it's just really important to be, to really own that upfront. Because uh, if you don't, you may just devote yourself to one thing, like offer it out to people and it doesn't work or people don't want it or they're not willing to pay enough for it or not enough people are willing to say yes to it. And then you're like, oh, well, this whole, this whole channel doesn't work rather than saying, I, I didn't, I just didn't quite figure it out right, you know, the right way yet. It is interesting to think about strengths. We're talking about three main options right now that are in front of us, a course model, ongoing community, some kind of membership, paid community, and then let's say coaching partnerships, or I'm calling it coaching, but consulting partnerships with other postpartum doulas or lactation consultants. And it's true on the course model, you got to think, does this align with your strengths? Not Again, not just to build it, but to market it and to connect. Who are you going to be teaching? Are you teaching the new parents or are you teaching the other lactation consultants. Same thing with a membership community. What I do love about a membership model, which I've had a private community for over six years now, you're only ever mentioning one thing. <laughs> like you're not on the hamster wheel of creating new courses and relaunching. And oh, I find that launch model somewhat exhausting. Whereas a membership, the value grows as the members grow. So if Jen were to create a community of fellow lactation consultants, there is a tremendous amount of value in connecting them to each other, sharing business best practices, sharing technical best practices, and creating that beautiful space. Whereas Gina Bianchini of Mighty Networks, she says, the best part about a membership or a community is that each person expands the value of the community. So what I like about paid community is that it's like a snowball. It's monthly recurring revenue that over time, the more effort you continually put in, ideally you you have more members added than who churn in technical terms or who leave. And that over time, your efforts can start to snowball and grow, but it may be a little slow to start at first. And the thing I wanted to say on the kind of partner model there, yes, you could think of it as just referring out, but I actually, with Pivot and Free Time, those coaches are part of our business and it's a little bit different. So it's not just saying, oh, I'm not taking any one-on-one -on -one work, go see Jonathan. And then mm -hmm. Jonathan gives me a little bit of a referral fee, a finder's fee. It's actually that my team, we have the backend systems where we're handling all of the interest, getting people to fill out an interest form, matching them with the coach, handling the payments, doing the customer service. So what's nice about that is that there too, we have clients on a monthly recurring retainer. So Jen could think about what I would encourage you to think about, Jen, is not just one-off sort of referral fees, but can you name the product that you offer? Even if it's lactation consulting, you know, John Warlow wrote about this really well in Built to Sell, productizing your services. So we offer a six-month XYZ package. It's build on retainer, good until canceled, the first of every month. And then when you do have your partner coaches or consultants or doulas, you are kind of handling the back end. And yes, you might bring on a part-time VA or project manager to help with that. 
but you're creating more value and you're creating recurring revenue for you and the business that's beyond because it is hard to build a business with just random one-off referral fees here and there. I think that is really tricky. Although, as Jonathan said, when you're promoting other people's courses, there have been ones that I've promoted where I earn earn $1,000 each time I recommend someone to the course. And in that case, it's a win-win because you're helping someone else fill a flagship course. Hopefully, the person you referred to that course is getting a tremendous amount of value, and then you get that nice kickback. But I find those are a little less consistent in terms of the overall business model itself. Yeah. And thank you for that distinction. You know, I think it's because there's so many different variations and ways that you can consider structuring these things. You know, in that case, you have more control and you have, you, you really can sort of create the nature of the context and the relationship. Um, and, and at the same time, what you're saying yes to is also owning a whole lot more of the complexity of managing that, managing the systems, managing the people. And again, this is not to say that you shouldn't do it. It's just like, the, the goal is always to really think about what am I actually saying yes to? What is the fuller set of things I'm saying yes to, in, including the complexity of the systems, the management, the people, so that I really understand it. And I'm not, you know, I'm not deluded or surprised when a couple months down the road, you're like, oh, this is what it really is. And that's not so interesting or appealing to me. So I think it's, it's great. I, I love that you sort of like bring up these alternate models. You brought up a, a really, really important distinction that kind of glossed over really quickly, but I want to go back to it because it's really, I think it's very, it's critical in a decision that Jen is going to want to think about, which is as you think about scale. So she's been doing this for 15 years right now, and I'm sure studying it and apprenticing for more than that. So, so, so not only is she, you know, like I'm sure, you know, got, got deep, deep wisdom on the actual, um, provision of the service, but also of how how to build, you know, like how to actually be this professional in this industry. I don't know if industry is the right word for that, but but in this world, you know, in this in this need, and so there's a there's an, another interesting choice that you teased out, which is, do I want to scale by providing things that will be in service of families and moms, or uh, you know, people who would need want or the actual services of a lactation consultant, postpartum doula, or do I want to actually scale by creating things that will support other professionals in this space? Not that it has to be an either or, but it's kind of hard in my mind, you know, this would be sort of like what we would call like B2B versus B2C. And what what I found, at least in in our businesses over the years, is it's really hard to do both at once. Because they each take a substantial amount of energy. But so sometimes it makes more sense to say, well, like, what do, what do I feel more called to do here? Where do I feel like um, if I if I can make that happen, it will get me closer to sort of like the vision of, of how I want to be functioning and serving and working these days. Curious what your take is on that. Like, do you feel like you actually can do them simultaneously? It's a lot. It just exponentially multiplies the amount of work, like you said, the number of plates that you have spinning, the number of systems process, if you bring in any team members. And as you were describing that, I was thinking, you know, Jen still has a route where, because because you're so experienced, Jen, if you were to raise your prices or double your rates, you might be the premium choice. And then you are deeply mentoring two people who sort of come under your wing and they're the next level. So I think sometimes there's a hesitation to raise prices because you don't want to exclude anybody from your services. 
But if what you really love is doing this work with clients and not necessarily moving into the more behind the scenes business building course marketing systems thing, there are also ways to keep that what Jonathan calls simple grace and bring two people sort of under your wing. And I say two because one, you risk that they leave and you've invested all this effort. And certainly if you're going to have two, every single thing you teach them about how to do what you do, your gen method for how you support new parents, they capture it, they document as you go. So if one of them were to leave, you have it recorded. They're not taking all that valuable coaching and mentoring with them. But then you're giving clients an option and maybe there's three. So maybe, and, and again, this goes to what Jonathan was saying, that if you want to stay aimed at clients and new parents, maybe there's, there is some sort of self-study version. Then there's one of your mentees. You wouldn't call them that, <laughs> but they would be your trusted partners. They'd work directly with you in the business. And then there's you. And this kind of takes me to step back a little bit. One thing, one exercise I recommend people do is think about your income for the year ahead and try to boil down, let's say your monthly recurring revenue, what you need to take home every month. What's the minimum needed to pay your bills? Nice to have, and then jump out of bed with glee. Whatever that, I like to go somewhere between nice to have and jump out of bed with glee. Then the step that a lot of people forget is how much time do you want to spend each week to get there? So it is perfectly fine. If you say your monthly take home, you want it to be 10,000 a month or 20,000 a month. And you say, I want to spend 10 hours a week to get there. Okay, great. Now we start to put some puzzle pieces down and we go of everything that Jonathan and I have been brainstorming with you today. What fits into that bucket of revenue, joy and ease that you could how many clients would it take, you know, or how much time would it take? So now you're really looking at these variables of the monthly take home that's ideal for you, the ideal amount of time invested, and as Jonathan reinforced, the ideal clients that you're most excited to serve. And then you can sort of toggle quantity, pricing, how involved you are, or how much you do end up wanting to step back. Yeah, I love that. And I think those are, they're just really important distinctions to spend some time thinking about. And then, of course, at the end of the day, the truth is you never really know how you're going to feel with any one of these different models until you find a way to test it. And different things are testable in different ways with different levels of investment, you know? So if you're, if we take your alternate idea of saying, okay, I'm going to take these two mentees and designate them as my associate lactation consultant and postpartum doulas. And, and, you know, like we will have a, a bit of a, a pricing scale where I'm sort of like at a higher price and, and they're more accessibly priced. You still, I'm sure, um, to feel comfortable would really probably end up investing a substantial amount of time in mentoring them and training them sort of like saying, this is how, we, how I do things and how we do things and how I would want you to integrate into what you do if you are out there also representing me in the marketplace. You know, so like how much work would that take to get to that place? Because you can't even test the concept really and how you can test marketing it. You know, you can create a little marketing campaign and some ads and some emails and some socials to see if you can generate demand for it, right? That's actually fairly fast and easy to test. But what's harder to test is how will I feel about this, this structure, this type of relationship, this type of sort of like service provision? How will I feel about scaling up in this way? How will it literally make me feel? Will I get on a personal level the nourishment and still the level of ease that I want in my life? Or is this really just going to add too much complexity or too much variability? 
and too much management time. So, and the only way to know that is when you're actually like doing it. So again, you, you still have to hold yourself open to the possibility that like, this is still a test. You know, this is an experiment. I'm going to step into it. I'm going to hope for the best. I'm going to work, you know, like hard to make it happen. And maybe I get a couple months in and it's awesome. And there's some tweaks and changes that I need to optimize around. But maybe I get a couple months in and I'm realizing, you know what? I actually could make this work. Even the market even is willing to pay for it, but it's not making me feel the way that I hoped and thought it would make me feel. And that really matters because when you invest in this thing called scale, it's not just about how it's affecting other people. It's not just about the money that you're generating. It's about what it's doing to and for you as a human being and the needs that you have and the way that you want to live your life at the same time. And I know, I know, Jenny, you and I have both grappled with this and you and I have both pushed a little bit too far and then had to pull back at various different times. And it's a dance that I feel like I continue to do to this day as I'm like, you know, like running two different companies right now and trying to figure out one is a decade old, one is a startup. And how do we do this dance in the startup? I love that you brought this up. I was thinking the same exact thing that all of these are going to require. I would be asking, what small experiment can I run to just test the waters of some of these directions? Because it is so hard to know until you're in it. And like you said, Jonathan, sometimes we learn the hard way. I learned I'm not that great of a manager. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. I'm not the one that I love onboarding people. I do it, but that's why I'm so into do process and documentation because it's not my strength. And I recently, I expanded my team really quickly, probably too quickly while launching my most recent book. And then I scaled it back. And I've been so happy since scaling mm -hmm. it back. And having, I call it being the all seeing question answerer and the chief everything officer. So sometimes I think when you're a service provider, there's a risk that you're doing everything, chief everything officer, you're doing too much. But then when you do grow the team, it becomes just as overwhelming, everybody pinging you with questions all the time. And there are ways to address that. But I find my life so much happier right now with just a tiny, tiny team. It's more quiet. I'm, I feel less overextended of trying to keep eyes and ears on what every single person is doing when the team had grown too big for my, not just comfort zone, but like strength and interest <laughs> zone. So, you know, like one of the other things that I noticed is, so Jen shared that her primary spark type is Maven. So like loves learning. And the cool thing about this process is that there's an amazing opportunity to just learn a ton of new stuff about all these different things that we're talking about. So it's a bit of a learning smorgasbord. So that's awesome for the Maven in her. And then she said her shadow, which is often sort of like the runner up impulse is the advisor. Now the advisor, what we've, what we've really come to understand is this is a deeply, deeply relational impulse. And what can happen in the context where if that is like a fairly strong impulse in somebody, and then they start to think about like, how do I scale if it's something that I've been doing on a personal service level for a long time, and I've been developing those relationships and that container and that safety and that trust, and it's awesome. And that's part of what makes it so great. And they start to scale by, again, stripping out information, commoditizing it and offering it in some way that may again, give them the income and the impact that they want. But because you're also stripping out a certain amount of the relational aspect of what you're doing, that may lead to a bunch of unhappiness. So you have to be really, really, really aware of how it's affecting your relationships and holding on to a certain number of clients or relational um, experiences in what you're doing. The other interesting thing is it speaks to something that you shared earlier, which is this notion of 
Well, one way to do this is not to offer a course or information or something like that, but actually a community, an ongoing community with a membership. And that is a really interesting middle ground, I find, for the advisor impulse. The Maven impulse is going to be perpetually learning. The advisor then gets to not just say, here's information in an asynchronous way. I may never know you or talk to you but actually say, no, I want to share insights and ideas and information in the context of a safe container in a conversational, relational way. So I feel like for, for people with a strong advisor impulse, um, when that's a big part of your sparkotype, that the, the community aspect, the membership aspect can sometimes be a better way or a better th- thing to think about. It's a fun playground for the maven as well, because you get to share as you're learning in real time in a yeah. kind of safe behind the scenes way. That's the other piece I wanted to come back to was this leaning toward this impulse that Jen's describing, this desire to grow and expand and serve more people. And I just wonder, Jen, who you're envisioning. Like, are you serving more parents? Are you serving more people in this field, more postpartum doulas? Because the other thing, I know Jonathan and I are giving all these cautionary tales, but it's only because we've been through them the hard way. (laughs) But really thinking, who is the audience that you envision? Like, If you are in a stadium, in an arena, who's there? Who's in the room with you? Are they your peers that you're most excited to serve next as you grow and expand? Are they new parents? And just who would you be most excited? Because I think sometimes we think about the business model and we go, okay, I'm ready to scale. Let me create courses or community. And then we realize, oh no, now I have a community of my peers, but I'm missing the connection to the clients, you know? And you kind of back into what Jonathan was saying, this almost fork in the road of B2C or B2B. It also strikes me, this hasn't come up yet. And it's certainly more work than anything we've talked about yet. But you could also consider some kind of book, something, this, what I, the reason I say that is the desire to serve and expand. And when you say serve more people, I do think books are great ambassadors. I don't know if it's your, in your heart to do that. You kind of have to feel that soul calling a little bit because it is complex and it does take dedication. But your book can become a great ambassador that everything you've learned in 15 years, and it doesn't have to be a traditionally published book. There are so many ways to do this now. It could even be an audible, you know, an audio book or podcast. I mean, how could you take that 15 years of knowledge and experience and create it in such a way that it is really almost, I mean, books for what you get in terms of an author's knowledge are very reasonably priced. And I just can envision that being also a great ambassador for you and the work you're doing and then feed people back into some of the other things that we've been brainstorming during this time. Yeah, I love that too. And and talk about like a um commitment to a project that will give you justification to spend inordinate amounts of time learning and like really juice that maven side. <laughs> a book will do that. Like you can lose yourself in 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 all of the learning, say, Oh, I'm working on a book. Trust me, I have done this many times <laughs> over. Totally. Don't bug me. I'm yeah, I'm in hermit right, mode. Right. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jen, Jenny, thank you so much. And Jen, I hope you got some um, some good insights and ideas from this. Always fun hearing about people's different experiences and, and uh, being in conversation with our awesome brain trust here. And we will see you next week on our next episode of Sparked. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. 
And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.